creating cultural awareness and understanding. This is Culture Click. Culture Click is written and produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. Nerds and geeks, welcome to the 30th Nerd Night event, part one of three series held at Ed's No Name Bar. Nerd Night is a monthly event held by two WSU professors, Dr. Carl Frickenhoff and Dr. Emily Ruff. Our three candidates get 30 minutes to nerd out and speak about their passions. So if you have a topic you're passionate about or knowledgeable enough to be called the nerd, this event is a place to be. I'm Del Nazate, and crack open your textbooks as we nerded out at Ed's No Name Bar today on Culture Click. You say hi, Emily. That's my favorite part, you guys. Uh, this guy over here, this is Mark. Everybody say hi, Mark. Yeah. Uh, you may be wondering where Carl Firkinoff, our fearless leader, is. He is at the Twins game. You know, is it the playoffs tonight? Do playoffs start? I don't know. It's, uh, I d they're, they're doing very well, apparently. And Carl had a, had a very dear friend who was in town for a very short amount of time, and so that's, that's where he is. Um, but we would love to wor welcome you to Nerd Night Winona, uh, where we believe that learning is more fun while having a drink. So cheers, everybody. Hooray. Uh, so we are part of a, uh, we're part of a very large consortium of uh, cities that do nerd night in the world. Uh, I think I skipped a whole bunch of slides here. So I'm gonna go right back here. I, that's, <laughs> thank you, Jayati. Yeah, 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 all right. All right, so that's Mark. Carl is at the Twins game. Okay, so we are here from Nerd Night, where learning is more fun while having a drink. Some people also say it's like the Discovery Channel, but with beer. Uh, so every time that we do a Nerd Night, we do a little intro to talk about how Nerd Night began. It began with this guy. This is Chris. Uh, he was a graduate student in Boston in the early 2000s. Uh, and he really liked drinking at this bar called The Midway. This is Chris drinking at the, at the Midway. Uh, now, Chris was a uh, graduate student, he was a biologist, uh, and every summer he would go and do research in Cameroon, in Africa. And he studied this bird, this is the indigo bird. Nice, right? Wrong! The indigo bird is a terrible parasitic bird. Not, I mean, it's, it's a parasitic bird, that's just what it's evolved to do. Not necessarily terrible. Okay, uh, but actually what it does is it, uh, it's, it lays its eggs in other birds' nests, and then it's young, push those eggs out of the nest. And so he got you know, footage of them doing this kind of thing and, and studied it. And uh, you, can, you can watch this like, little bird trying to push eggs out of the nest, and it's, you kind of want to root for him. Uh, and I'm gonna tell you, is he gonna succeed? Is he gonna succeed? Ah, uh, he does not succeed, actually. Anyway, uh, it's, it's a nice, suspenseful little clip. I love that clip. But so anyway, Chris would go back to his favorite bar, The Midway, and his friends would ask him, what did you do this summer? How is your research going? And if you've ever been in grad school, you know that once somebody starts talking about research, it's very hard to get them to shut up, right? And so Chris would be at this bar talking and telling the same stories over and over, and eventually the bartender said, Chris, you gotta quit this. Like, we're gonna give you one night to get all of your stories out. And you can yammer on about them as long as you want. That's going to be your nerd night. And that's how nerd night was born. Uh, and so then uh, Chris you know, sort of turned this into a thing. It was a regular event at the Midway, and it was doing pretty well. 
And then he met this guy uh, named Matt. And Matt was hosting a trivia night in New York. And Chris suggested, you know, a lot of people do trivia nights. Not a lot of people do nerd nights. You can get people to talk about nerdy things at the bar, and it would be a great thing. And so nerd night spread to New York through this guy, Matt. And now, this is the slide that I was going to, or that, that came up fast in the short version of slides. We are now part of a large number of cities that do nerd nights. If you're ever traveling and you want something to do in a new town, you should look up whether there's a nerd night there, because there very well might be. Uh, I know I, there's, there's one in Madison that I was involved in. There's one in, in um, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of them all over the world. So how did Nerd Night then come to Winona? Well, this guy, Matt, from earlier in, in our introduction, right? Uh, he ran Nerd Night in New York, and he knew uh, this woman, Michelle. Uh, Michelle met Carl in graduate school at Cornell University. They met at a brew fest. Uh, and they had a lot in common. I mean, you know, Michelle loves animals a lot. She's a veterinarian. She's a vegan. Carl also loves animals in a different capacity. Uh, but one thing that they had in common was nerdiness and beer. And so they started Nerd Night Ithaca when they were in graduate school at, at Cornell. Uh, then Carl went from Ithaca on a long journey to do more nerdy things in Heidelberg, Germany. He did a postdoc there, and then he came back to the United States. He came to Winona to be a professor in the physics department. And he thought to himself, hmm, Winona beer is cheap. Carl wanted to learn and have a beer. He thought this would be a good place for a nerd night. So, you know, he started talking to other people about starting a, starting a nerd night. One of those people was me. I had done uh, a talk at nerd night in Madison when I was a graduate student there. Um, and Carl had been a, a boss before. I had never been a boss before, but I was sure I would be interested in bossing for sure. And so now uh, we run Nerd Night Winona. Guess how many Nerd Night Winonas we've had now? 30, this is the 30th Nerd Night Winona, you guys. We survived a pandemic. You know, we've learned so much, we've laughed so much, we've drank so much, it's been great. All right, so uh, our first speaker, <laughs> thank you, there was a little, let's give a round of applause for that. 30 Nerd Nights, 30 Nerd Nights is pretty great, right? Pretty great. Thank you very much. All right, so without further ado, uh, I would like to introduce our first speakers, Abby and Joe Crumry. Uh, they're here, they're gonna talk about falconry, uh, and they're from River City Raptors. So come on up, thank you very much. Let's have a round of applause for our first speakers. I'm gonna cue up this talk. Does this thing work? Okay, good. All right, so like she said, uh, my name is Joel Crumry, my wife, Abby Crumry, um, and we run River Valley Raptors, not River City Raptors. Uh, yeah, so River Valley Raptors is a nonprofit organization that we do go around the states and um, teach people about raptors through public education. Um, so if you're interested in something like that or you're a teacher or Cub Scout leader or whatever, look us up. We got a website. We got Facebook. Uh, we do all, we go travel all over the place and give programs like this. Um, we're not here to talk about that tonight. We're here to talk about falconry. So, so has anybody ever heard of falconry before? Okay, a couple of people. You're probably here because you've seen something about falconry and you're just like, ah. Um, so what is falconry? Falconry is a hunting sport using a trained bird of prey to catch what it does out in the wild, right? So we're using trained hawks, trained falcons, 
in some cases owls, in some cases eagles, um, to catch their natural prey that they would be catching otherwise. Um, it's about the most extreme form of bird watching that you can be involved with. Um, as we don't have to teach these birds to hunt. That's an innate thing for them to do. It's in their DNA. It's in their blood. They, they hunt and they kill things. We just teach them to work with us in order to us to be involved in that whole process. So that's in a nutshell what falconry is. Um, a basic how to become a falconer, um, how you get into this kind of thing. There's a couple of different steps. So we, so we always like to encourage a pre-apprentice step. Um, so you, for step one, you meet a falconer. So maybe tonight is your chance to meet a falconer, right? Um, you get to talk to us, get to know a little bit more about it, and blah, 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 and you go out hunting with that person. You go out and start learning with that specific falconer, right? Don't go into it totally blind. Um, get to know someone in that sport and get to know it. Um, then you become an apprentice, and you're an apprentice under a sponsor. So you have somebody with years of experience that's sponsoring you and apprenticeshiping you um, to learn the sport and learn how it's done. You're an apprentice for two years, then you become a general class, you're a general class for five years, and then you become a master class. Now master class, me and Abby are both in the master class title. Um, that just means we've made a lot of mistakes in that seven years um, and learned from our mistakes. So Abby's bringing out her bird here. Um, you, can, you can talk a little bit about oh, it. This is Harvey. Um, this is... This is my uh, falconry bird. Um, he's wearing something called a hood right now, um, which just covers their eyes so that they can't see anything. Raptors are very visual animals, and so when we take away that eyesight, it pretty much makes them feel really calm. Uh, he'll take naps and sleep in this hood. Um, it's used in the field especially um, so that he's trained to leave my glove. I don't want him to sit on my glove. I want him to be up in the trees following me. Uh, so if there's times we're in the field and I need to walk out of the woods and I don't want him up in the trees, it's easier for me to just put that hood on him rather than have him constantly trying to bait or fly away from my glove. Um, so I have some food for him um, that I'll give him here in a sec whenever um, we get to that part. Um, and so I'll take that hood off and, and let him eat. Um, he was trapped last October, right? Yep, um, so, and Joe will go a little bit into trapping and how we get these birds. Um, so he was trapped as a first-year bird, and I don't think he has any tail. Oh, we got one, one tail feather left. So I know he was a first-year bird because he didn't have red tail feathers. He had these brown striped tail feathers. Um, and so anywhere from 50 to 90% of raptors don't make it to the first year of life. It's a very tough life to be a raptor. So by taking that first year bird, we're actually helping him through the hardest time of his life. Um, and they're called a passage bird because they're making their first passage on migration. So I don't know where he came from, somewhere up north and was passing through. Um, up by Nelson, Wisconsin is where he was trapped. And for him, um, he took, I think it was about two and a half weeks before he was free flying after um, trapping him from the wild. So um, I think he's a male based on size. Um, he's either a larger male or a smaller female. Um, but he also didn't quite have the confidence of my last two birds that were both females. Um, so that's part of why I think he's also a male. Um, females just tend to be more bolder, more confident, um, kind of bossier. And um, he doesn't quite have that same kind of burdenality. So, um, so that's kind of my guess as to why he's a male. Um, 
Um, so there's a, there's a, I just want to run through, there's a few pieces of equipment that are specialized to falconry, right? So we can't exactly put a collar uh, you know, on a hawk like you do a dog or a cat. We have to use specialized equipment. Um, so Abby talked about the hood already. Um, works like blinders on a horse, keep them calm. We also have these anklets and jesses. That's what she's holding on to. That's the rope. Um, and the anklets go around their legs. Um, and that's how we control, you know, semi, quote, unquote, control the raptor. Um, and that's how we, you know, keep them safe in situations like this. Um, they will also wear bells. And they'll also wear a, like a transmitter. Um, the bells are for us to keep track of them out in the field. So say he takes off and flies up into a tree, which he does all the time. Um, he's so camouflaged up there. You know, it's keeping track of him, watching, you know, watching other falconers, watching where you're going, trying to find rabbits, trying to look for squirrels. That, that's just auditory that you can keep him kind of in the back of your head and know where, where he is at all times. And then the, the transmitter, um, that's just in case he does take off after something or something scares him and he bugs out of the area, uh, that transmitter will go up to seven miles. And I have a receiver and I can track him down. It just sends out auditory beeps um, on, my on my tracker and I can, we can track him down and get him back. Um, he's never really went further than like 100 yards from us. Um, they tend to, once they're, once they're trained and know that we mean food and we're the ones kicking up the game, um, I explain it like reversed pheasant hunting. So if anybody's ever watched pheasant hunting or been pheasant hunting, a dog's out in front of you, they kicked up the pheasant and you shoot it. Well, I'm the dog and that's the weapon, right? So I'm kicking up the rabbit and she's catching it. Um, and we're helping and, and we'll see that here in a minute. So just some specialized equipment that we use. Um, the telemetry is also nice, um, not just for if they take off, but sometimes we were with another falconer and their bird went down on a squirrel and we couldn't find it. And so he turns the telemetry on and he's looking. He's like, it says the bird is right here. Something must be wrong. We're in the pines. And then the other falconers started laughing because the bird was literally at his feet on the squirrel trying to stay hidden because that's what they do from predators. And he went, we wouldn't have been able to find that bird without the telemetry. Right. Um, so next up, we, got, we have a few videos. Um, uh, I guess public service amount, you are going to see things get killed. Um, so it is, it's mother nature working at its finest, you know, she's not the nicest thing out there. Um, but this is how raptors kind of hunt in the wild. We're just kind of watching it happen. So. Well, it's hard to see, but there's five squirrels in this tree. One, two, three, four, five. So there's one here. The bird's right here. Three black ones and two gray ones. Oh, make her move. So you're physically watching her chase those squirrels around the tree. She doesn't catch one in this video. That was. So that yelling's a game call. You see, we yelled. So that means we saw something or something moving. You see, she come, she come right back. Another one. Well, shake the branch behind you. Yeah, we shake, we shake limbs and trees and all kinds of stuff to try to get them. Sorry, Luke. Try to move the squirrels. And then this, this one's going to have an actual catch in it. Um, so we had chased a rabbit around in this woodlot. We, we pinned this rabbit down in this thick brush. And so we got a team of guys working through this brush. And the hawks actually have, would be above our left shoulder in a pine tree. And you'll hear somebody yell here in a second. There it is. There's the rabbit. And she come out of the tree and grab it. 
Now, the bird has the ability to kill the prey, but just for our personal preference, we do go in and help dispatch just so the prey is killed as quickly as possible. Because yep. um, it would take them a little bit longer. So, so I'm actually going to feed Harvey yep. quick. And so she's going to take the hood off. And so a neat, neat information about that. Does anybody know why rabbits and squirrels and stuff scream when they get injured? She, she said, oh, maybe it's trying to startle what's catching them. No, it's actually to attract other predators. If they're attracting other predators, that predator is going to come and beat the predator that has the rabbit up, and then the rabbit could get away. That's the whole theory, you know, not kind of theory behind it, what people think, why they scream like that. So here Harvey has a nice big chest cavity of rabbit, and you see he's going to use his strong, powerful talons. That's the business end of a hawk is their feet. And that's what you got to be most careful of. A lot of people ask us, you know, aren't you worried about them biting you or pecking you in the eyes or whatever? No, they don't use their beak like that. They use their beak like this. They use it as a meat hook. It's for ripping and tearing meat apart. That's all they use their beak for. Their eyes are so important to how they survive and to how they, you know, live every single day. They're not going to put their eyes in jeopardy by biting at you or trying to peck you. And their beak's not designed that way. So... The feet are really what you got to watch out for. And this is all Harvey will get to eat today. This is all he needs. Yep. Um, so when we do catch big things like rabbits, um, we actually trade them off the rabbit for a smaller piece of meat that's already ready to go. And then depending on the day, we can continue hunting. And then that rabbit actually gets taken back home. And because we do the education, we actually have 14 birds of prey at home. Um, so that food gets uh, spread out amongst all the raptors. Yep. Um, so we hunt typically from about middle of October um, through March. So we hunt all winter long. So we're hunting in um, different snow and different situations. This is an industrial park in Janesville, um, just south of Madison we were hunting. And there's a rabbit under this air conditioner. Just watch the hawk. We were, we were laughing because we were trying to get the rabbit out, but uh, Danny, the, the hawk, she saw the rabbit move under there and actually um, took off under there and went and grabbed it. That, that hole was about that big. And that whole bird fit underneath there and was able to grab that rabbit. And look how happy this guy is. <laughs> um, this is a bird I fly now, a little bit different type of bird. This is called a northern goshawk. Um, so a little bit different species of bird than a red-tailed hawk. Um, so this is I, I fly now, and we're walking. We're again in Madison. Um, we're walking this brushy, this brushy draw. And so you've seen red tails hunt here, from trees. Yeah, you know, come out of the trees and ambush rabbits before. This bird hunts off the fist. Okay, so I'm, I carry her everywhere we go, and she's an explosive flyer. So she will fly down and catch rabbits. So there's two videos playing there for some reason. Yep, she stays on my hand as we're walking. They're definitely here, but yeah, where are they? So we're looking for rabbit tracks, we're looking for trails, we're looking for a sign. Um, and the rabbit comes out of this brush pile. Yeah, see there's something else going on in the back. That's, that's Luke back there. So he see the rabbit us. come out of that brush pile and she caught it. And then you may be cool, but you'll never be this Mongolian wolf hunter riding home holding the eagle he used to hunt the pelts he's wearing cool. 
Uh, a lot of people ask, like, oh, how do you get that, get that animal away? So once the hawk grabs it is, it, that, is it the hawks, right? Is the hawk that possessive of it? They are in the beginning, but once they learn what we call a trade-off, it's pretty easy for them to trade off to a different piece. So this is um, a bird Abby flew a couple years ago on a squirrel in our backyard that we caught. Got a really good surprise for you today, though. And so she's going to give a piece of meat out of her bag and the hawk will leave that squirrel to get that piece of meat. And that's how we trade off. We just exchange them for a piece of meat that comes out of our bag. Um, and they know we're getting food. Um, if, you, if you watch it again, watch her head. So she's concentrated on the squirrel. As soon as Abby starts moving, look at her head zip right over. She knows it's coming. And she just leaves the squirrel. And we train all our birds to do that, trade off. Because where are we in this situation of Mother Nature? Nowhere. They don't need us to survive. That hawk doesn't need any, anybody. She's an apex predator. She lives out in the wild on her own, right? So where is our connection? Well, she specifically eats the food we give her. And we don't let her eat a lot on the food she catches. So that food transfer is where we're, we are in that situation, in that whole equation. Otherwise, what's, what's to stop her from flying off and just going on her own, doing her own hawk thing? There's that my goshawk again. And sis is how quick it can be sometimes. That rabbit will run out right here behind me. <laughs> the audio is a little cued off. But that rabbit actually came from behind yeah, it's me, okay. past me, and she caught it. The cool thing about goshawks is if she were to miss, she can actually take off oh, off the ground and catch the rabbit on a second a second try versus a red tail. Typically, when they hit yeah. the ground, that's that's it. Yeah. They're not fast enough to get back out. So, yeah, the audio is weird with the... You're fine. No, I'm trying to dispatch the rabbit. So I take him by the it head and like pull the back behind, legs like and essentially stretch the rabbit out and that'll kill him um, really know. effectively. But sometimes they get all, like they get both legs and everything stuck up by the head and you can't get a good grab. So you got to kind of manipulate them around. So here, I'm, I'm going to prepare the trade off for her. I don't know what time we're at, but uh, five minutes yet? Okay. I'm going to prepare the trade-off here, getting pieces of meat. And she's just sitting here on the ground plucking on that rabbit and eating, you know, starting to Don't eat on it a little bit. Don't break the cover. There's, yeah, there's something goofy going on here in the video. So I have this little lure that she's trained to put a piece of meat on it. It shows he cares. You know, I'll give the guy one thing. I don't know where this audio is coming from. Hmm. Oh, but maybe, you don't got to be a dick about it. Maybe I'm talking about it. <laughs> What did you just say? Something they don't got to be a dick about it. I don't know. Are you, did you break in? You little. Oh, no, it's not off. So, like, see, I give her the, the food with the thing, and she'll just leave the rabbit to do her lure. Oh. Oh. Well, I, that's not all I give her throughout the day, but so I, so we can keep hunting, keep going. Yeah, in the wild, if they caught a big rabbit like that, they wouldn't have to hunt for three days. Um, that's a lot of food. So we give them smaller pieces that just allow us to continue hunting. And then it, you know, it does kind of become fun for the birds to get out and 
be able to do a lot of hunting and a lot of flying. Um, their stamina goes up. They um, just the more oh. you hunt them. Yeah, so. after a couple of months with us and catching multiple objects and seeing how the how the process works, it'll become you know think about it when we first get them out of the wild. Catching it is like that bird's goal, right? That's me for survival. And I got to catch this to eat it and whatever. And that's in their mindset. But after a while, they, they start to realize like, hey, if I catch this, that thing's going to come help me. And so I just got to hold on until he or she gets there. They'll come help me. I get a piece of food and then I get to do it again and again. You know? and, and they will get fed up after a while if you push them too hard. But um, there's a fine line between... And, and with that being said, it takes about, on average, 30 days for a hawk to become completely wild again, meaning that after 30 days or 60 days or however, um, when it's time for us to let them go, they unfortunately don't even look back. They just take off and they're like, see you later. Um, so this doesn't affect their ability to hunt by themselves. Um, it only gives them time to really perfect how they chase things. Um, the cool thing, I always like to fly my birds for two or three years. Some people let them go every year. Um, but the second year is when you really see birds starting to think about what they're doing. So the first year bird, they just, the second something moves, they just chase it. They don't care. And then as they start hunting more, you can see they start to pick, um, pick their flight. So if the rabbit runs and they know they're not going to get it, they might not even go for it. Or they might wait a second before taking off. Um, or squirrels are the most fun to really watch them because they'll sit and if the squirrel's not moving, they'll kind of look around and they'll move up a branch, then they'll move up another branch, then a couple minutes later they'll move up a third branch and once they get above the squirrel, then they'll just come down and grab it and they, no chasing or anything, they just grab it and come to the ground. They'll calculate it out. Yeah, so. Me personally, I tend to do two to three. That's just my personal preference. Yep. yep. Yep, and they have no, no need. We, we work with them. They don't rely on us. They work with us. So there's no, um, nothing that, th that they won't be able to survive once we let them go. Um, and then we fly with minimal equipment. So if they ever did fly off while we were hunting, um, whatever's left on them is not obviously going to affect their ability to hunt. It'll eventually, like the anklets will eventually wear off and fall off. We don't fly with Jesses. Um, so... I think we got one minute or two, maybe, for questions. Well, yeah, I would love to kind of open this up for questions, but yep. really quick, let's give Abby and Joe a round of applause. <laughs> All right, Emily and I have the microphone here so we can get a couple questions. I see one back there. Hearing, I would think that the amplified sound would drive them crazy. What's their hearing like, and would this bother them? Yeah, so hawks, falcons, eagles, um, they have very similar hearing in regards to us. So they can hear the same tones, the same pitches, same volume. Where you get kind of cloudy is with the owls, right? Because their owls are using specifically hearing to hunt, whereas the diurnal raptors, the eagles, hawks, and falcons, they're using mostly sight. Um, so their hearing is comparable to humans. Um, so it does maybe bother them a little bit, but they're just like us. You know, like they can start to meter. You know, when something gets really loud, your own body can kind of turn that loudness down. Uh, same thing with a raptor. Yeah, right. way in the back. Yeah, I got one way back here. How long does it take for the wild falcon to get used to being around humans? You said 30 days, but like, how long do you have to get used to it before it's willing to work with you? So 
Right my, up. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, my quickest bird was jumping to my glove on the second day. And my longest bird, which was a tiny, tiny male, took four weeks before we were flying um, outside. Yeah, so that's, so that's completely wild hawk sitting on a telephone pole on the side of the road to coming into our basement two days. A bird's already jumping to us for food or versus, you know, two weeks or three weeks to do that. Typically, it's about three weeks for them to go outside and start flying any length outside and then another week of free flying outside in a controlled environment until you can go hunting. So about a month of pretty constant tra hard training to get them to go. Once you know what you're doing, Once I feel you, like. Yeah. yeah. Yep. What is the average life expectancy of the birds? So, like in the wild. Yeah, so raptors are, <laughs> I always like to go, that raptors are the reverse of dogs, yeah. right? You have the great, you know, the great big Great Danes or the German Shepherds or whatever. They really don't live all that long. And then that little yappy thing will never die. <laughs> it's very reversed for raptors. So the smaller the raptor, the shorter the lifespan. You think about like American Kestrels or those North America's smallest falcon. They don't live maybe five, eight years in the wild. Um, Red tails can live to be about 15-ish in the wild. There has been reports of birds way older than that. My um, friend just trapped two red tails that were 22 years you know, of age and 20. One was 20 and one was 22, and it was actually marked on the band like that was unusual for that old a, a yep. band to be reported. But so. with us, if we were to keep a bird for its entire life, they'll live 30, 35 plots. Yep. So. You got one back here? Uh, sure. So you had mentioned you hunt October to March. Does that follow the small game season? And do you need a small game license? Yep. So falconry in general is the most highly regulated hunting sport on the planet. Um, so we not only need state permits, federal permits, we have to go by the state, whatever state we're hunting in game laws, plus whatever state that is, is falconry laws. Um, so yeah, we, we coincide with the, usually with the small game season. Now in Wisconsin where we're permitted at, we can actually hunt rabbits and squirrels year round. That's a part of our falconry permit. But we like to give those, you know, small animals a break to have their babies and up the population again so they can go kill more in the winter. But when we come into Minnesota, Minnesota's game laws we have to follow. Yep. So they end, I think the end of February is, is you're done in Minnesota. And then we have to get a Minnesota license to hunt here. And one right here. I think I saw you have one up here. What's the biggest mistake you've ever made? <laughs> Flying a bird to your glove too many times. Yep. So they get really excited about the glove. And they're still hunters. So then they actually start hunting the glove. Um, and it'll get to the point where if you're in the woods and they're not seeing anything, they'll just come to your glove because they know that gets food. Um, so it's funny. My last bird was pretty good. She never came when I didn't call her, but she didn't like to leave my glove, so I'd have to throw tidbits on the ground to get her to go down and then go up to a tree. So I worked so much with him reinforcing him leaving my glove that when I try to do programs with him, I either have food for him <laughs> or I keep him hooded because the second he's done eating, he starts going, all right, where should I go perch now? Because if I want more yeah. food, I need to leave, and then I'll come back and get more food. So... Um, it's every yeah. bird's different. Yeah. I don't o know what you're overtraining is a big one. You know, you think like, oh, I got to get so much training done with this bird to, you know, to keep, get them, keep them coming back where they're ready to go way before you're mentally ready to go is usually the biggest mistake. Yeah. And then they get really bound to your, they call it glove bound, you know, where they don't want to leave. They don't want to leave that source of food. Right. 
All right, time for one more question. And we'll stick. Ask a quick one while I take the mic over here. Please do. Please do. We'll do two. Quick. Thank you. So you, so you guys mentioned that when they get a kill, like a rabbit in the wild, it could last like up to three days before they have to hunt again. Yep. Do they just eat the entire thing and can hold that in their stomach, or how do they keep that away from predators during the rest of the time? Yeah, so they'll they'll do what we call a gorge see session. See the crop here too, right? <laughs> Turn her sideways to it. Oh yeah. So there's a bump underneath her throat. You see that right here underneath her chin? So that's where her rabbit that she just ate is. Yeah, so they'll gorge, right? So they'll eat as much as they possibly can. They'll fill up their crop, right? So you birds, all birds have a crop of some kind for the most part. Um, so they'll fill up that crop full of meat, and she can fit about a pound of meat in that crop. And so that'll last her for a couple of days, and she'll just slowly digest that crop uh, over the next couple of days. And then she's starting to get pretty hungry by day three. But, yeah, she's going to eat all she can on that meal. Um, sometimes it's like a roadkill they're finding to eat on. They'll go sit for two days and then come back to the roadkill and eat more and, you know, and find that source of food. But, yeah. Okay. Well, let's give it up uh, for Abby and Joe. I'll just start with uh, your name and what you talked about tonight. Yeah, so Abby Crumry, and we talked about falconry tonight. Oh, fun. And um, is this your first time speaking at Nerd Night? Yes, this is our first time speaking at Nerd Night. We saw it on Facebook and thought this would be such a fun place to talk about falconry. Awesome. Well, how do you feel about speaking at Nerd Night so far? I love it. I think this is such a cool idea. I'm actually excited when I'm in new cities to seek out nerd nights in those cities as well, just to uh, learn about new things, because I think that you should never stop learning. Awesome. Well, to those who want to talk at nerd night and kind of speak their passion, speak their nerdy facts, what would be your best advice? My advice would be to pick something you're passionate about because even if it doesn't interest people, um, when you talk about something that you love, you tend to make people love it. So pick something you love, share your love for it, and you'll be surprised by how many people find they love it as well. Awesome. Thank you very much. A huge thanks goes out to Ed's No Name Bar and the Nerd Bosses for making this whole event possible. Tune in next week for a part two continuation of this nerdtastic event. To check out Nerd Night Winona and even sign up as a speaker yourself, visit their Facebook page at Nerd Night Winona or keep updated at visitwinona.com. I'm Del Nazate, and for more nerdtastic or local Winona events, tune in to Culture Click every Thursdays at 12.30 p.m. here on 89.5 KQAL. Creating cultural awareness and understanding. You've been listening to Culture Click. Support for Culture Click is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Culture Click is produced by KQALFM on the campus of Winona State University. For more information, look us up on the web at kqal.org. And thanks for listening to Culture Click.